You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, this is Abraham. And this is Miranda. And this is Why We Do What We Do. And I like to start by... Well, the title of this episode will likely have resulted in immediately recognizing the saying that you've probably heard before, spare the rod, spoil the child. And we'll go into where that saying comes from. But the indication of the saying is that if you do not use the physical corporal punishment, in this case, using a rod, probably a wood or something to, to, to hit a child with, then the child will become spoiled. They'll lack respect, they'll lack discipline, and in general will be a less well-rounded, good person or individual. Yeah. And so just to clarify, the purpose of this particular discussion will not be to explain or talk about punishment as a procedure um, so much as we're really just um, that will actually be kind of its own standalone episode. Right. But instead, we really want to talk about the relative psychological implications of using physical punishment as discipline with children. Right. And if you were to Google something like corporal punishment or spanking, you will find yourself in an endless well and wormhole of discussions on both sides of this topic, both people for and against and probably those in the middle somewhere. There is a lot of stuff that is out there that people feel very strongly about this. And understandably, this is a topic with a lot of sort of weight in the implications of it. So let's go ahead and dive into some of the background information in terms of what this is and how often it's used. Specifically, if you haven't heard of corporal punishment, the idea is that corporal punishment involves some sort of physical force and that that physical force is intended to cause some degree of pain or discomfort, however slight. And this is the definition used by the UN, the United Nations. And that specifically, this is used as a consequence to adjust or challenge or change some type of behavior. And it's used almost exclusively in um, children, often very young children. So going into the more recent history of corporal punishment, spanking specifically has been banned in at least 60 countries, states, or territories. Interestingly, it is still legal in the United States, which it kind of makes sense given the sort of ethos of the United States. Um, But... It is Our Puritan roots. Yeah. And uh, and uh, also this idea of like, you can't tell me how to sort of raise my kids sort of thing. It is. It's interesting to me. Parenting is one of those things that everybody thinks that they're good at and has a right to do however they want to do it. Um, although it's this is one of those things that has very, very high stakes. And so I always think a, a little bit of training is is often a good thing and <laughs> um, teaching. And anyway, I also think that it's interesting that although it's legal in the United States to use corporal punishments, it is actually prohibited in a lot of states, if not all of them, for foster parents and um, and maybe even for adoptive parents, although at that point they're legal, your child. So at least for foster parents, it's considered unacceptable and illegal, which indicates to me, I guess, that it's okay for most people to beat their children, but not if you are acting as a sort of temporary surrogate for that child's parents, especially if the child's already been beaten. So there's like an acceptable level of beating, I suppose. Yeah. And so the fact is, is that, as you might imagine, the forms of corporal punishment are, um, as defined are extremely variable. And the definitions change depending on the municipality or, you know, the area in which, you know, they're kind of being discussed. Right. And so in some areas, based 
based on what I found, only certain forms of corporal punishment might be banned. I mean, looking at the UN definition, that really implies that any form of corporal punishment would be banned. But physical punishment can include anything from punching, hitting, kicking, grabbing, striking forcefully with an inanimate object like a rod, squeezing, shaking, scratching, slapping, even cutting, stabbing, hair pulling, throwing, pushing, tripping, or otherwise physically restraining. And just, ugh, it, like thinking of all of that like happening to a kid it makes me seriously sick to my stomach it's uh, that's, yeah. that's hard that's hard for me for sure so that's that's kind of covering a little bit of the more recent history and definition um but you know we can go back millennia and discuss corporal punishment and its prevalence in the culture right yeah, I mean, this has been used throughout history, oftentimes by adults or anybody that's in, a, in an authority role, such as also teachers or, or other caregivers. And so we can go back to the 10th century BCE, to the Bible, to the Old Testament, to the book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs 8.24 says, He that spareth the rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. This is must be King James Version. <laughs> As you can tell. But but this is where we derive our title from. Yeah. yeah. Proverbs 18.6. A fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calleth for strokes. Proverbs 19.18. Chasten thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Proverbs 19.29, judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the backs of fools. Proverbs 22.15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it from him. Proverbs 23.13-14, withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, thou shalt deliver his soul from hell. And Proverbs 24.15, a whip for a horse, a bridle for an ass, and a rod for a fool's back. So... Interestingly, curiously, that the gentleness of Christ, quote unquote, was almost always ignored. And theories as to why it's so popular is because there was a desire in this society that's structured around a patriarchy for the elder to maintain their authority. And that authority is essentially responsible as the main person responsible for social stability in that context. And that the only way that they feel that maintaining that uh, social stability works is through use of physical force and aggression. Yeah, and you see this in the ancient cultures of Greece, Rome, and Egypt. Corporal punishment was used for judicial and educational discipline. And I actually, I'm always really interested in Spartan culture and Sparta. Uh, for whatever reason, that's just one of those things that historically sort of intrigued me. And um, Sparta in particular was very, I, I want to say, infamous in a way for their particular cruelty used as a disciplinary regime designed to the idea was to build willpower and physical strength and they used a lot of this very intensive aggressive uh, quote-unquote teaching or discipline methods yeah and within the roman empire their max penalty that a citizen could receive under the law was quote 40 slashes with a whip applied to the back and shoulders if blood was drawn and that was completely okay. Yeah. And in many places, this was actually encouraged by the church of the area and essentially described as do it yourself, you know, DIY self-discipline. Mm -hmm. The schools and education often used this, this physical discipline, especially if that school was run by the church. Yeah. And from the 16th century onwards, trends of punishment being made as a public spectacle were pretty popular. Man, I just I ugh, I I would not be interested at all in seeing public mm -hmm. displays of 
uh, like punishment or execution or anything like that. that would just make me pass out or something like that. It was interesting. I was just thinking about this use of physical discipline in the church, uh, which still happens um, even even at this this point in time. And the lyric from the band um, "Death Cab for Cutie." They said, uh, "Catholic school as vicious as Roman rule. I got my knuckles bruised by a lady in black. She told me, son, fear is the heart of love." So I never looked back. I think that I think that's how it goes. Something like that. It is. Yeah, you got great. it. Great. Sweet. <laughs> we know our death cab lyrics. Awesome. It's great. Great song. Now, even though this has been going on for a long time, there have been many people who have advocated against the use of this form of punishment, this use of uh, corporal punishment and physical, I guess, aggression to discipline children. So in the 11th century, people were speaking out of, against corporal punishment against children, even within the church. Um, so St. Anselm, who is the Archbishop of Canterbury, specifically spoke out um, against the use of corporal punishment towards the, children. Right. The philosopher John Locke uh, said something about that had some thoughts concerning education and criticized the central role of corporal punishment um, being used in education sort of settings. Um, his, his writing actually was very influential and helped affect and influence change in Polish legislators to ban corporal punishment um, from Poland schools in 1783, which was the very first country to initiate such a ban. Yeah, and during the 18th century, the concept of corporal punishment was challenged by philosophers and legal influence. So the idea was that corporal punishment only changed behavior for a very short period of time. Very insightful for that period. Um, And Mm. we'll get into more of the actual research on that. And that there was often no permanent change to the behavior that was being problematic in that case. Yeah. And in addition, the idea of having prisons that controlled and watched the prisoners at all times did not need to implement corporal punishment at all. Uh, Fast forwarding a little bit in time, in the 19th century, there was a new model of thinking that you could really exert some better control over criminals with a reduced use of corporal punishment. And this actually started to occur throughout North America as well as Europe. Yeah. And in some countries, the change came about because there were events of public punishment that were so brutal that people began not wanting to implement it at all. Right. In Britain, popular opposition was encouraged by two cases of death in uh, military flogging um, in 1846. And then also a schoolmaster who in using corporal punishment, killed one of the students in 1860. Yeah, and then in the 1870s, the U.S. overruled the common law practice that a husband could abuse his errant wife. 1870. <laughs> I mean, that that was... That's, that seems a little recent. Yeah, and I'm glad it wasn't more recent than that. I'm glad that it happened. Um, but that whole idea of the rule of thumb thing. In 1892 in the U.K., the traditional right of the husband to inflict moderate corporal punishment on his wife in order to keep her, quote, within the boundaries of duty, end quote, um, was also removed uh, as part of a thing that was legally protected. So then moving into the 20th century, um, there were a few important instances of change within the structure of corporal punishment within some certain areas. So in the UK, the use of judicial corporal punishment declined during the first half of the century, of the 20th century, and was actually abolished altogether in the Criminal Justice Act of 1948. But, Miranda, in many schools, the use of the cane, the paddle, or something called a switch, which is essentially like those things, um, just another implement, uh, those actually remained commonplace in the UK and in the US until as late as the 1980s. And in several countries, it's still allowed in, the, in schools as a, a disciplinary measure. 
So when we get into more modern times and the modern use of corporal punishment, we can look at Sweden in 1966, and they banned all punishment in all areas. So this includes homes, schools, the penal system, alternative care settings, and they were the first country to do this. And a 1979 Swedish parental code actually reads, quote, children are entitled to care, security, and good upbringing. Children are to be treated with respect for their person and individuality and may not be subjected to corporal punishment or any other humiliating treatment, end quote. Now, I'm wondering, Miranda, and I'm not sure if you know, but in the way that this is described, it says it banned the punishment in all areas. Does that mean all forms of punishment or just the idea of corporal punishment? I believe it was the idea of corporal punishment, and we should be clear on that for sure. Um, And we'll get into some alternatives to corporal punishment that still involve what could be defined as punishment and discipline. Um, Right. But don't involve physical harm. Right. And we'll say this more, but we're not saying like, don't use any form of discipline and we'll get, we'll get to what other forms of discipline are. Uh, We're talking about specifically this idea of physical, physical harm caused in the service of discipline, if you will. And, um, and so moving on to some of the more modern, uh, well, you already talked about in Sweden, but in all states of the U.S., yeah, as we mentioned, it's it's still it's still legal, and in most African and Asian nations, corporal punishment by parents is still considered legal, um, and it's legal to use implements even as rough as things like belts or like paddles, um, usually made of wood, but they can be made of other things as well. So in 2006, the United Nations Committee on the Rights of the Child they issued a directive calling physical punishment quote legalized violence against children end quote. And they stated that it should just be eliminated in all settings. And a treaty that established the committee uh, has been supported by 192 countries with only, actually, the U.S. and Somalia failing to ratify it. So, as I mentioned, there are some places in schools that still use physical punishment. This is actually true even in the United States. So not only in the United States can parents use this in their own home, but some schools still allow some forms of physical discipline that are, again, intended to cause physical harm in the quote-unquote service of, if you will, implementing some kind of discipline. And even over 80% of parents in America and the United States of America claim to use some form of corporal punishment. And I saw, now I I just said 80%, I saw some estimates range from 70% and some as high as over 90% of parents. Like that is, that is a lot of people. That's almost everybody, right? 90%, that's huge. So there is actually a global initiative to end all corporal punishment of children. And we'll actually link to their initiative, um, the website for their initiative in our show notes. But they provide a really neat summary of the number of countries that prohibit corporal punishment in children. And so as far as it being prohibited in homes, 57 countries have that prohibited. It's um, not prohibited in 141 countries. Um, schools fare a little bit better. Corporal punishment is prohibited in 118 countries, and it's not prohibited in 80 countries. And then within the penal system, 155 countries have prohibited corporal punishment, while 42 still allow it. And then in alternative care settings, which is arguably you know, the, the place where there are more vulnerable um, populations, there are more vulnerable children living, there are 116 countries that have banned um, and prohibited corporal punishment, but there are 78 that do allow it. So those settings where people are the least likely to understand what's going on and the least likely to be able to defend themselves. All right. So 
that's that's a lot of information going over the background of how common this is, who uses it, and where it, it exists, where it's been banned, all of that sort of stuff. And it's useful to have that background information going into an actual discussion about what's going on in this. And I think I want to start by offering some examples about why people use corporal punishment. A lot of people who listen to this, I mean, 90% of our listeners, if the statistics are to be believed, are, are people who have or do currently use this form of discipline. They, they will have reasons that maybe this will connect with them. But it's important to understand if we're going to ask that people stop doing it to understand why they do it in the first place. And so why do people implement this physical I guess physical discipline as uh, as a way of punishing behavior that they don't like. Essentially, there are four reasons here. So the first one is it could be that because the person who uses physical punishment was subjected to physical punishment themselves, they're essentially taught to believe that it's an acceptable way of dealing with other people's behavior. Right. And people, you'll, oft, you'll hear this so many times. People will rationalize that it worked for me and I turned out fine. Or something like, my parents spanked me and it taught me important lessons about discipline and respect. That's very, very common that people will say something like this. But there's a lot of logical flaws inside of that argument. Yeah. So the first one could be that it really assumes that you are the best version of yourself that you could possibly be. And that it is specifically because your parents use corporal punishment or beat you that that is the reason why. It also assumes that nothing has changed in our culture over the last several generations and since that person or you, if that's you, um, was a parent and uh, that everything works exactly the same now as it did then. And this also comes from a perspective that did not experience the alternative forms of discipline, so non-physical forms, and therefore it lacks a knowledge and appreciation of ways to deal with difficult behavior that are different from corporal physical punishment. Right. And finally, it also implies that anything that happened to you when you were a kid was something that you want to have happen to your own kids, and that they should have the same the same sort of life that you had up until that point. And if you had like a really awesome, stellar, perfect life, then great. But as, as some psychologists have noticed and observed that a lot of parents who have these sort of attitudes, this idea that like it happened to me, that they've the psychologists have noted that a lot of times these parents really actually lack a memory of how they experienced that punishment when it happened to them. They tend to sort of minimize or skew or sort of uh, misremember or change the way that they experience that as suffering and deny that it uh, in, in fact was experienced as suffering. And so um, they confuse this idea of um, this anger, this hurt, the shame. Um, this often can be uh, associated with feelings of betrayal and that through that process, they lose connection with themselves and their uh, their awareness of being able to recognize how they're feeling in the moment. Instead of having bringing empathy and compassion with their own pain to these situations in which they are are in a similar place that maybe their parents were or their caregivers when they use that on the the parent who is now trying to use it on their child, instead of um, experiencing that as that empathy and compassion. Instead, they turn around and use that same strategy on on those kids. And so the psychologist has specifically said it's no wonder that they're more likely and more inclined to try and use that physical punishment because that's what they know. You know, that's what they experienced and that they are remembering it maybe differently than how they did when they were experiencing it in the first place. So moving on to a second reason why people might use corporal punishment, um, really because it can work in the moment. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, just look at the outcomes. People punish in situations when there is some kind of behavior that someone is in, is usually a kid in this case. Well, we're talking about kids. So when I say when, it, when a child is doing something that's challenging or difficult, um, it, it can lead to an immediate change in that, that situation. And the act of punishing, whether it be, you know, yelling, hitting, taking things away, um, usually this always stops the undesirable behavior immediately. And the act of punishing is a reward by to the person providing the punishment by ending that difficult behavior. Right. If you in, if you if you do this, you, you employ the strategy of like this thing needs to stop and then you hit the kid across the face or on, on the bottom or whatever it happens. And then that behavior stops right away relief. We have that experience of like our behavior has now been reinforced because we feel better because the situation is now better. Right. And this is described as negative reinforcement in the behavioral literature. And so that comes with its own set of rationalizations, just like the first reason. A lot of teachers, parents or caregivers, whoever, you know, are, are in these situations will say, like, I had to do something to make the behavior stop. Yeah. And it's really easy to imagine the situation in which a caregiver has become so frustrated and just desperate that they feel driven to make the problem end. But what is a child really capable of doing that is so intolerable, right? So we think of what people use physical punishment for. And it can range from anything like crying, being, quote, rude, when the parents are feeling out of control. When the child is ignoring the parents or arguing with the parents, when they're going too slowly for the parents. Yeah, they might be making a mess. They might have spilt something. They might have. They might be sick. They might be vomiting. They might break something, whether it's on purpose or on accident. Sometimes parents and, and teachers will punish, will use this corporal punishment if a, if a child gets um, poor grades, if they feel like they're being stubborn. I mean, the list goes on and on. And if you just think about, stop and take a moment to think about some of these things simply ignoring the parent, something like accidentally making a mess or even not making a mess on purpose. Are those good reasons to hit somebody? <sighs> it's a rhetorical, it's a rhetorical <laughs> question. I'm not, I'm yeah. not obviously, you can't answer me. Um, you, you have to sit there and listen to my voice and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hear you answer me back. Although you can certainly email us, but it seems to me like, think about this in the context of an adult. And someone doing that, and then like you're you're at work, and a coworker spills something, you just go up and just like punch him right in the face. Um, that's just that's not how you go about handling that. Exactly, and oftentimes you'll hear the explanation that oh well, I'm just using these natural consequences, but that's not a natural consequence. Natural consequences of behavior are things that occur that the behavior itself produces. So you know, getting burned by touching a hot object, that's a natural consequence. Receiving or some sort of physical hit or, or spanking is not a natural consequence. Right. If you have something that you like and you're not careful and you drop it and it breaks, well, then you no longer have that thing that you like. That's a natural consequence. The thing that you that you like is now broken. You can't you don't get to use it anymore. It's it's not something that you that you get to have. And so that would be one of those natural consequences. Yeah, you're exactly right that going after somebody physically and, and trying to hurt them. That's not a natural consequence for almost anything. And the problem is. OK. We're going we're gonna to reiterate this point a few times, but I, I just want to say here again that the problem is not that physical punishment doesn't work. It does, at least in the short term. Okay, The problem is that it's the long-term effects and the message that it sends to kids that are the recipients of this uh, strategy and that the outcomes that have been clearly observed through research and data and the effects that this has had on children thinking developmentally, psychologically, all of these things that we're going to go into um, very soon, 
that's the reason that we're making the case essentially against this. But let's go into the third reason that uh, people will often use this corporal punishment is because the person using corporal punishment is experiencing stress, trauma, some sense of hurt, maybe from somebody else or a lot of frustration. And again, it might not actually be directly from the child, but the child is in a way, a safe way, quote unquote, safe way to take out their frustration and aggression. And by safe here, I mean that the kid can't really fight back. They're not really capable of putting up too much of a fight. So what I'm saying is inside of this is that when people are under stress or they're being hurt, maybe they're being uh, abused by someone else, maybe at work or by a friend or something else is going wrong with their in their life, they, they will often take this out on others and kids are just an easy target. So counter-aggression actually, it often occurs towards those who have less power from those who have more power. Yeah, essentially that the people who have the authority and the power to do so are more likely to target those who have less power and authority to do anything about it. And there's this very eloquent quote from a great podcast that I like and I'd recommend. The podcast is called Conversations with People Who Hate Me. And I linked to that in the notes. And in this one, the host used a phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And which I just think this is a really succinct and clear way to describe this phenomenon called counteraggression in which someone who is being hurt tends to try and hurt someone else. Yeah, and there actually may be a genetic tendency to hit back when you've been hurt. So this has been shown in studies with animals. There's one study where two rats who showed no aggression before a shock was administered uh, to only one of the rats. And then the shocked rat immediately attacked the other rat who then retaliated. There was another study in which there were um, pigeons. And when one pigeon, this one's not actually a, a good example of the physical uh, punishment, but when that, um, that pigeon had its reward taken away from it, that, that pigeon then went and attacked the, uh, another pigeon that was in the cage. So this use of, uh, of retaliation shows up, and often retaliation toward another organism or another creature or another nearby peer, if you will, that didn't even do anything. Right? They tend to attack when they're in situations where they feel they're being attacked. Yeah, and this also carries across environments. And those who have a history of punishment often exhibit a heightened predisposition to act violently. And research shows that those students who are considered bullies at schools, they're the ones who are picking on kids, that they're more likely to come from homes that that use physical punishment than the students who are, are not bullies, um, that they're uh, are not being bullied, that they're less likely to come from homes with uh, physical punishment. And the relationship between corporal punishment and later aggression shows in state statistics. So many of the top 10 and bottom 10 states that permit paddling fare on various indices. So there's a congressional uh, quarterly state fact finder from 2002, and they looked at states with the highest number of murder rates and eight permitted paddling. Um, only one state that permits paddling falls among the 10 states with the lowest number of murder rates. And now so, it's yeah. important to note that this relation does not necessarily have a cause effect. It's just a correlation, but it is at least interesting to note where those relations exist. Yeah. It's also stated that pupil spending and general well-being are higher in states with no paddling allowed. Some other research has looked at school discipline methods in Australia, and the research there found that the best behaved and the most responsible of the students there had teachers who used less punishment. Those who were more aggressive and uh, used more of those corporal punishment tactics um, did not use a combination of appropriate behaviors as well. And in classes where students misbehaved, students responded better to those less aggressive tactics. 
And so we can really, you know, use these situations as opportunities to model how to handle a difficult situation. Exactly. And so the fourth reason that someone might use uh, corporal punishment as a way of trying to discipline behavior is because the person using corporal punishment doesn't know what else to do. And we're going to go over some of the alternatives toward the end of this discussion, but it just needs to be listed here that as a reason that when people don't know what else to do, they might turn to something that is very likely to work or even that they know for a fact works. And now I consider myself generally a pacifist, even kind of on the extreme end of pacifism. But I also understand, I feel the the call, the urge, if you will, to fight back when I'm watching sort of movies and TV shows where they are sort of that black and white abusive bad guy sort of thing. I feel like all worked up and like, I'm uh, go get him hero guy. Um, <laughs> but you know, in, in that situation, I don't think to me, I just, I don't, I don't like hurting people. I don't like the idea of hurting people. I don't like seeing people actually get hurt. Those shows where that show people falling all the time and like breaking their bones, like that just grosses me out. Don't want to have anything to do with it. But in movies, I think they just, they're really designed, I think, to rope you in and give you that sense of you're, uh, you're rooting for the, the protagonist in those situations. And, and I feel that, but that doesn't, that doesn't carry over out into the world for me. So essentially we can summarize all of this just to say that as far as physical punishment it goes it really occurs oftentimes as a result of anger um, it can be used by parents when they're feeling frustrated if they're feeling just particularly disrespected by their children they're feeling powerlessness in the moment and just they, they're really wanting their children to you know follow their uh, follow their directions and adhere to their expectations and they just really aren't and it's also understandable why physical punishment is used so often um, as a form of discipline. It's it's really easy. It's really effective in the moment. And it really, it doesn't require a lot of self-reflection or, you know, control. Um, it doesn't require a lot of learning. When it comes to more constructive and compassionate approaches to discipline, yeah. there's, there's some skill that needs to be established there. And there's some learning that has to be involved. And like any other forms, when it comes to anger, it does work short term and but the mechanics there they're intimidation and their fear and really there's there's this great great quote which says quote as such it can be rewarding for the adult who experiences immediate control over the child when embracing such punishment end quote so that's all to say there's there's there are definitely those short term benefits and it can be rewarding for someone but there really are some long term uh, effects that definitely outweigh the benefits that we're going to get into next. Yeah, and that so that that quote came from a, a, an author named Bernard Golden, which I'm gonna we I pulled a lot of resources from a blog that he wrote at at the end of July, um, and uh, that's linked in the show notes up here. But he. Uh, he talked a lot about and pulled from a lot of research to uh, assemble this blog talking about corporal punishment. I'd highly recommend checking that one out if you're interested in uh, more discussion about this. He just said a lot of this really well. But to go to your point, there are, are several reasons not to use corporal punishment that we believe really outweigh the reasons to use it. Now, at first, we're going to talk about some of the simple psychological processes that go on as well as log logical arguments against. And then we'll go on to talking about some of the long-term effects on this at the sort of uh, the psychological level for children. And the first reason 
not to use corporal punishment is the the undesirable effects that can happen, which is that punishment tends to produce physical punishment in this case tends to produ produce these uh, those sort of classical conditioning reactions. And what that means is children learn to associate their whoever the person is who is delivering this corporal punishment. Let's just say the parent in this case. They tend to they learn to associate the parent with the abuse, so that when the adult uses the corporal punishment, the child learns this person means pain and hurt is coming and that uh, and they fear that person and fear incidentally is not the same thing as respect right um, even when that person the, the let's say the parent in this case is also a source of security and rewards the the fear that comes with the corporal punishment is very powerful and it can be very long lasting it can, can color that child's perspective of everything else that that person does and so they really they learn not to trust their parent or caregiver or teacher if that was the case in in these situations yeah, and this ties into the next point, which is that corporal physical punishment actually teaches escape and avoidance behavior. So essentially, children learn how to hide their behavior, or to hide from their parents, and they learn how to lie and to cheat and to get away with it in order to avoid physical punishment. One important consideration that I always think is important to bring up is in things like this and the topics when we're talking when we're talking about discussions like this and it'd probably be good to talk about this when we cover stuff like criminal behavior as well is that if the behavior is occurring at all it is occurring for some reason okay mm -hmm. and so simply applying a reason not to do that thing in this case corporal punishment does not a, teach the child what to do under those circumstances, and B, does not actually replace the reason that they were doing it in the first place. Presumably, that reason is still there, even with the corporal punishment. Therefore, without addressing what that cause is, whatever the reason is for that child, that kid is likely to keep doing that thing, but they're going to learn to be a lot more sneaky about it. Yeah. And so, you know, these emotional responses, these, these reflexes, this fear that is paired with the person... Uh, providing the punishment, it actually creates a motivation um, for behavior that gets rid of it. And so, yeah, as we talked about, this looks like escape, which is essentially being able to reduce or get out of that aversive situation, doing whatever it takes to manipulate it so that they can get away from it. Also avoidance. And essentially what avoidance does, it postpones or it prevents an aversive situation like physical punishment. And once escaping from a situation where someone's threatening you, you may avoid the location where the incident occurred, even if that person is not there. So it's the entire context becomes associated mm -hmm. with that corporal punishment, the pain and the fear. Yeah. And you may also avoid future experiences that have occurred in the past because it is related to the present situation. Again, through that associating that can happen. So, for example, if a parent or teacher punishes, let's say you have a like 12-year-old or something who maybe tries cigarettes for the first time, and that the, the parent or teacher then uses some kind of physical punishment because they find out that they're smoking. Now what might happen is instead the child's going to figure out how to hide their smoking, not to stop smoking. They're going to figure out how to avoid the person, not the behavior. In the same realm, you know, something like bad grades that are punished with physical punishment what you're going to see is it'll likely mean that cheating will occur. They're not going to necessarily stop getting bad grades. They're just going to find some other behavior to avoid getting those bad grades that will result in that punishment. And possibly even worse, they might give up on school altogether. Just drop mm -hmm. it and be like, well, I can't be successful here. And being in this context means that I get hurt. I'm getting out of here. It makes sense, you know, that they might do, they might do that. Yeah. So a third point that we wanted to make is described as the ripple effect. 
Right. And this is that students that observe another student being punished will often they'll sympathize with that student who is being ridiculed or embarrassed or injured in some way. So it was actually a study done in Detroit with 26 kindergartners. And so what they did, they observed that when a teacher specified a behavior that was expected by correcting it in a neutral tone, the observing students tended to respond positively and they paid more attention to what they were supposed to do. Compared to that, students who observed teacher who used that angry tone of voice, who was aggressive and mean about it, or used any kind of rough touch, those students tend to show more anxiety and become confused, restless, or stop participating uh, in that class. So this fact also shows a tendency of students to imitate these methods of control themselves. So consider that when children are teens and they're exposed to violence, in, in many contexts, and I think it, I'd actually love to do one on the violence in video games sort of aspect because there's very confusing evidence to, on both sides of that that, uh, that make it difficult to understand. But essentially, it's been shown to predict increased violence in children and, adult, and teens and young adults when they are exposed to this normalization of violence as a way of solving problems. So it should be noted that there are large individual differences that exist, um, but there's also been no studies that have shown that exposure to TV or game violence decreases later aggression. And this is one of those things that I'm happy speaking up. Like, I love watching horror movies and action movies and that sort of thing. And again, I have absolutely no desire to bring harm to people or to see harm come to people in real life. So this is, I'm, I'm one of those exceptions, maybe not an exception, but um, I, I don't know that those things decreased my... Uh, my tendency toward this, but I just, I'm not compelled to be violent toward others. So that's, uh, I, I, and watching those things as much as I enjoy them has not made me feel more inclined to have that uh, experience, but that's, I'm obviously a, an example of one and not representative of all people in any way. So, okay. One thing that people often say is that there's this, again, rationalization that caregivers, teachers, whatever, the authority figure will use that They'll say something like, if I don't use corporal punishment, then the children will think that what they're doing is okay. Well, Except that. <laughs> right, yeah. There's no evidence to actually support that that's true. Yeah, and there are other ways to use discipline that do not involve physical punishment. And again, this doesn't actually address that cause of behavior. And even using physical punishment doesn't actually tell them that what they were doing was not okay. Right, just to avoid it. And instead, what it does is it teaches children that when someone is doing something that is quote-unquote not okay, the solution is, or one way of dealing with it, is to hit them or harm them in some way. And then that leads to the next outcome, which is... Under what conditions is it okay to hit someone out in the world? Right. So... And I brought this up a little bit earlier, but let's imagine taking some of those examples. If someone ignores you or is rude to you at the store, is it acceptable to go up and spank them, grab them, punch them, hit them with your belt? Like, is that how you, it's acceptable to deal with people out in the world? Yeah. Can you beat an employee? Can an employee beat a boss? Can you beat your spouse? While some of these make for good, like, setups and movies, action movies, dramas, that sort of thing, this is not considered acceptable out in the world. It's been illegal for people to beat their spouses for some time, and yet it's okay for them to hit their kids, who are much more vulnerable, weaker population. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it just, it just comes down to this. You can't hit others to solve problems, so why is it okay to hit children of all people? <laughs> yeah. I mean, again... Just reiterating the point that hitting children teaches them that hitting people is okay, and it's the way to solve problems. This comes right back to that saying that I mentioned before, that hurt people hurt people, and then the cycle continues. 
Yeah, and we have to break the cycle by choosing not to do what has been done to us so that we can secure a better future for our children and our children's children and onwards and onwards. I have a one of my favorite podcasts or what I generally think of as my favorite podcast is called The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And they, a couple of weeks ago, um, maybe a few weeks ago, the time this is released, had a really good discussion um, in a segment on that show where they were talking about uh, the point. Um, and I believe that they were quoting someone from Facebook that was commenting on this for one of the people. Anyway, what the person on Facebook said that if the child is not developed enough to be reasoned with, then they're not going to be developed enough to understand why they're being hit, okay? And what that punishment is supposed to be for. If they are developed enough to be reasoned with, then reason with them. Uh, use, you know, talk to them about what's going on or use one of the other methods we'll go into in just a moment. So besides numerous logical problems with corporal punishment that we discuss, there's quite a bit of research as well, which we'll review now. Yeah, so... In a uh, American Psychological Association article, research on the long-term effects of corporal punishment has shown that spanking and other forms of corporal punishment have a high likelihood of causing long-lasting psychological effects in children. Yeah, and there have been many studies that have shown that physical punishment can lead to things like increased aggression, depression, anxiety, violence against dating and marital partners, criminal behavior, antisocial behavior, physical injury, and mental health problems for children. So ironically, the use of physical uh, physical discipline increases problem behavior. And one leading researcher, whose name is Elizabeth Gershoff at the University of Texas, Austin, stated that, quote, physical punishment does not work to get kids to comply, so parents think they have to keep escalating it, and that is why it's so dangerous, end quote. And after decades of research, Gershoff wrote the report on physical punishment in the U.S., and what this research tells us about its effects on children was published in 2008. The findings stated that physical punishment can work to momentarily stop problematic behaviors because children are afraid of being hit, but it doesn't work in the long term. It can make kids more aggressive. So there was a meta-analysis conducted of 26 studies. Lars Lear and colleagues found that an approach they described as conditional spanking, actually it did lead to greater reductions in child defiance or antisocial behavior than greater than 10 of 13 alternative discipline techniques. These included things like reasoning, removal of privileges, and timeout. And this was a study that was done in the Clinical Child and Family Psychology Review in 2005. So Lars Allaire defines conditional spanking as a disciplinary technique for children aged two to six years old in which parents use two open hand swaths on the buttocks only after the child has defied milder discipline such as timeout. And even with all of this, so they did find that this technique could be effective. And, you know, it is a clearly defined technique. It is two open palm swaths. There's another non-physical punishment that's in place, like a timeout, that this was effective in them then not defying that non-physical timeout. But they still state that increasing a parent's level for alternative methods to corporal punishment is definitely encouraged. Right. So that it's preferred to use some other alternative, mm -hmm. even when some of these, um, I guess, milder forms could be effective for some things. Now, Gershoff and Goodman in this year, in 2018, also did another study where they were looking at some of the statistical analyses from um, a lot of the research that's been done on this and really found that that the disciplinary measures that involve corporal punishment do not 
uh, reduce negative outcomes and actually that it is more likely to result in detrimental outcomes for children. And a number of, um, of professional organizations that we've seen is an increasing number have disavowed and have specifically encouraged a regulation that, has that, that would disavow using spanking and other physical punishment as a form of discipline. And human rights organizations in 53 countries um, have already uh, agreed that this is a violation of the human rights of children uh, to, to use things like physical punishment. So uh, let's get into some alternatives to physical punishment. Right. There are a lot, again, uh, discipline and consequences for inappropriate behavior can be effective teaching tools. They can be effective for establishing appropriate patterns of behavior but they don't need to employ the use of physical pain to work. And we're, it's important, again, we're gonna state again, we're not advocating to never use punishment. What we're advocating instead is the use of non-physical punishment and with other strategies. So one example is simply prevention through clear positive rules of conduct. And so rules of conduct can be stated in positive tones instead of don't do this, you say do this, whatever the uh, alternative thing would be. Yeah, and make sure that those who are to follow the rules, they actually know the positives. But in addition, they also know the consequences if they break the rules. And the consequences right? for following the rules, which can be positive things. And again, a lot of people will say like, well, I shouldn't have to incentivize this type of behavior. They should just be doing it anyway. And, uh, and while... I understand that position. I think it's worth pointing out, well, if the problem behavior is occurring, then what you're doing isn't working. So maybe put in that incentive system and then slowly back off of it. But we need to kickstart some appropriate behaviors and, and teach them what to do instead and get them in the habit of doing that so that that becomes the, the pattern of behavior rather than what they're currently doing. And incentives are a really good way to get that, um, that working and started. So yeah, and it's just really important with both those positives as well as well as the consequences that they can understand them. So even, you know, for individuals who might be non-English speaking or, or from other cultures or those who have a developmental disability, you know, if you're working with these individuals or, you know, are the parent of a of a of a young child, it's really important to make sure that those both positives, the rules for accessing those those positive consequences, but also the consequences for if they break rules are made very, very clear. And sometimes for people, it might be important to scale back and start with just a few really key rules um, and prioritize picking those important ones first. And then you can add in um, the more, I guess, nuanced rules afterward once you've established sort of uh, a, a, expect, a clear expectation for those first ones. So a, a second strategy that can be used as an alternative to physical punishment is to really involve the, the children that you're working with, whether it's your own child or, you know, maybe your student in a classroom um, in setting those rules. Yeah. And this allows the students to understand the rules better and also that they'll be more likely to follow them if they if they're enrolled in this decision making process, because then they have some sense of control over what's going on. Yeah. And decisions could be made on a group basis so that all are familiar and aware of the consequences. And now, obviously, the person who's in charge, the authority figure here, has the final say and can guide how these discussions go. But giving, having that level of inclusion, it increases the likelihood that there's going to be buy-in from the people who have to follow those rules, in this case, the kids. Yeah. The third point we're making, probably one of my favorite ways to go about this, is really turning negatives into positives. And so what you're doing here is you're turning statements of what not to do into statements of what to do. Right, which is sort of what we mentioned earlier is this idea of you can say don't run in the hallway, but there are a thousand things you can do in the hallway that are not running, that are skipping, cartwheels, um, they could be jogging backwards. Instead, setting the expectation clearly of 
walk in the hallway that rules out all of the other things that you don't want them to do. You could list things you don't want people to do all day long with without running into the thing you actually want them to do. It's easier to state what the expectation is. Yeah, and and as we stated previously, you know, having bonuses for behaving well rather than providing punishment for when things are done wrong is much more effective in the long term. Another strategy that can be really useful is to try and decrease that behavior by removing the incentive that's there. As I mentioned, behavior that's occurring, if a child's doing something, they're doing that thing for a reason. If you can identify what that reason is and get rid of whatever incentive is maintaining that choice that that they're making, and you can target that specifically for whatever that inappropriate behavior they're doing, and then at the same time, you can take that, whatever that incentive was, and then apply that to some other appropriate behavior, then what they'll do is that child will track that change. They'll flip immediately or really quickly to start going after that incentive by doing something different. There's a concept called differential reinforcement um, as well that can be really effective when we're trying to move from using something like physical corporal punishment. So what this essentially means is that you're going to reinforce one property of an action and you're going to, going to ignore or um, as as uh, Abraham was describing, we're, we're we're removing that incentive uh, to complete that action. And so there are a couple different ways to essentially what you're trying to do is you reward some other type of behavior and to uh, avoid that reward from showing up for the inappropriate behavior. And so something you can do is you can reward a behavior that is uh, completely incompatible with the thing that they were doing before. So um, a child who, if you are rewarding, let's say for example, hands uh, flat on the desk while you're teaching, uh, then they can't be doing things like having crazy hands all over the place or, or jazz hands. Um, and another one is uh, to reinforce some alternative behavior specifically. And actually the hands on the desk as an example, but sometimes we'll have kids who are getting out of the chair and they're running over doing things and what they're doing is they essentially want a break and so you can teach them to ask for a break and obviously they can't get a break every single time but if they can ask for a break and get it sometimes then they're more likely to stay and wait until that's available than just trying to punish the getting out of your chair thing all the time yeah and getting into or continuing forward with um, strategies utilized more in an educational setting um, a system called positive behavior supports, which we covered in our episode uh, where we interviewed Dr. Sagai, has been very effective in decreasing uh, problematic or undesirable behavior in student populations. Yeah, that was a great episode. I definitely encourage you, if you haven't heard it, to go back and listen to that interview. He had some really valuable statements and, and suggestions and contributions in talking about what positive behavior support is. Um, it, it originated in the 1980s. Um, it's essentially touted as being both positive and proactive. And it means increasing and strengthening those appropriate behaviors, again, through that reward incentive system, rather than using the punishment negative consequence routes to try and reduce those challenging behaviors. Proactive here really means, you know, we're anticipating where things may go wrong and we're preventing that from happening rather than just reacting to when things actually do go wrong. And the the approach inside of this is understanding that Again, that incentive exists already, and so to uh, and and the the might be for example they were trying to get out of something or they're trying to get attention for something or maybe it just it feels good to do whatever they're doing it sounds cool or it tastes good or whatever it is they're doing and to address it in that way by thinking of what is the incentive what is the cause determine why that particular behavior is happening and then teach some 
alternative way, some appropriate skill that will uh, access the outcome. I always like to say, usually the reward, the incentive is not the problem. It's how they're getting it that's the problem. And so mm-hmm. like, it's not a problem that kids want to take a break from doing work. Everybody wants to take a break from doing the work. What's a problem is when they just get up or they leave their desk or they throw a fit. And so allowing them to have a break is fine. It's just teaching them appropriate ways of doing it. And finally, one of the most common ways that people have used to address challenging behavior is simply time out. Now, again, it's important to understand what the cause is, because if a kid's trying to get out of work and you put them in time out, well, they just got out of work. Whatever they did to get there is (laughs) going to happen a lot more. But when it's a time when they could be enjoying something and they are restricted from having access to that, then that's an appropriate time and place to use that time out because it is it is a non-physical way of just reducing access and it doesn't have to be for that long. Honestly, a few minutes of preventing access to those positive things can be perfectly sufficient to teach them that you, you lose those privileges when you uh, have this behavior and you don't have to hurt a kid to do it. Ready to get into some take homes. Yeah, man. I mean, that was, it's a lot to cover and it's a very controversial topic and I can already see the emails flooding in people commenting on, on their support for use of um, beating children. And, um, I'm, I'm just going to go on the record and say, I think that corporal punishment needs to end period. I, there, there is no acceptable reasons to hit children. This, the reasons that people do it can be addressed and solved through simple education and uh, making the choice to do something else. Yeah. And again, this is not to say that one should never use any form of discipline. We're not advocating for that at all. We're just saying that there are definitely other strategies to discipline behavior that don't use physical harm. There's many strategies, actually. Right. And probably most importantly, the long-term effects of physical discipline can be fairly devastating. As we mentioned, a lot of psychological damage can come from this, including that it has the exact opposite effect and increases those problem behaviors, those challenging behaviors later when, when these kids have grown up and they're a lot stronger, a lot more clever and a lot more capable of doing more damage. Um, and, you know, I, I can, I can even hear now people writing in and saying like, I don't believe in this hippie crap. And okay, well, I'm just going to say, you don't have to believe in it for you to be wrong about it. Yeah, you can you can understand why parents will go to corporal punishment and the reasons make sense to them, especially if at the time it might be something that they actually experience as children. And and you're also you're not wrong. You're not a bad parent for wanting your child to develop discipline and values. But it's good to know that physical punishment isn't the most effective way to actually establish that discipline and values. And if you don't know what to do, there are places to get free or cheap training and strategies for addressing challenging behavior. And from the article I mentioned earlier by Bernard Golden, which is on Psychology Today, um, published this year, uh, he had this really nice quote at the end of his article I'm going to go ahead and read. He said, quote, compassion for others and ourselves is most powerfully cultivated in our earliest connections when they consist of trust, support, and safety. If we truly wish to support these attitudes in our children, we need to end physical punishment and commit ourselves to value the importance of more constructive and humane forms of discipline, end quote. I, just, I, I thought that was really well said. I agree with that sentiment completely that this, this is just not a good strategy to go about doing things. I think it is archaic, and there, are, there is a lot of research to, to suggest other ways of dealing with things and, others, and the problems that can come from using this. So I, I, I think the, the, the position of this podcast is, uh, is against corporal punishment. Yeah, and very well summarized in that quote. Yeah, exactly. 
All right, cool. Well, this has been kind of a long one, so thanks for sticking with us. I hope you found some value inside of this. Um, and if you have uh, anything you'd like to say to us, feel, fe- feel free to write in. Um, and otherwise... Uh, We're bracing yeah. ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> prepared prepared for messages. All right. Um, anyway, uh, I've, I got nothing else. Do you have anything else you want to add to this, Miranda? No, I'm glad we covered this topic. And um, I, I, am, I am genuinely looking forward to... Um, any listener feedback we get. Yeah, happy to have a a civil discussion with anybody. So um, may not respond if you just write as much hate mail. But uh, if you have if you have cr- constructive criticism or comments, I'm happy to interact with those. So, all right. Again, uh, thank you very much for uh, uh, for recording with me today, Miranda, and for everyone for listening, and for um, Brittany Bowerly and uh, Brittany Marie Desanti for their assistance and uh, research and fact checking on this episode. This has been why we do what we do. This is Abraham. This is Miranda. And we are out. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at WWD Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O., Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.